At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters 5 through 7 to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. As Alex said, my name is uh, John Dulk. I'm the Community Outreach Director. If you're visiting with us for the first time, man, I want to meet you. Um, I'd love for you to come introduce yourself after the service. Uh, I love meeting new people. It's part of my job, but I also love it. Um, so come find me, introduce yourself, just walk right up and be like, I'm so-and-so. Uh, I don't mind at all, but thank you for being here with us this morning. <clears throat> I am super excited um, to be up here and, and to share God's Word, open God's Word with you this morning. So if you have your Bibles, <clears throat> go ahead and open them to uh, Romans as we continue our series in Romans called Newish. Um, yesterday, I had the incredible privilege um, to celebrate uh, 11 years being married to the most amazing woman on the face of the earth. Um, yeah, you can clap for that. She's incredible. I don't know how I got her. Uh, really don't. Um, but I uh, definitely married up. But uh, yeah, 11 years married. I know it's not that long, but uh, we've crossed the 10-year mark. Um, so now we've been married for 11 years. We were able to get away last week to Florida, and it was a refreshing time to hang out with her. Um, but man, when I first got married, um, if I think back, I started to think back 11 years ago. And I started to think, like, what happened in that process? Nobody warned me that when this woman moved in with me, that my whole entire life would change. See, I, I moved out of my house, or my parents' house, when I was 18, went to college. Uh, when I got out of college, I never moved back home. I lived in several different homes um, across, you know, different states. I moved different places. I love to move. I love change. Um, but I, I lived on my own. I lived as a bachelor. I lived with uh, um, some roommates and stuff like that. But I started to develop my own routines. I started to develop habits. And I didn't get married until I was 30. So I was kind of set in my ways, right? And I started dating Kristen. And we dated for five years before I got married. And nobody warned me that when she moved in, it was all going to change. See, my living room might have been a, a couch with a couple deer heads on the wall and a TV. Now my living room has floofy flowers here and decorations there and pictures on the wall and no more deer heads. Um, but it completely changed. My routines changed. I can remember I lived in a little house right next to Leonard Market, right downtown Leonard, and it was with the walking distance of the little market. And I would call Yvonne every day, and she was the older woman there that, that would make the meals there, and she had a little kitchen. And I would call her and I'd say, hey, I'm on my way. I'm coming home. I need some food. And so I would go down. She was like my mom. Um, I would go down to the market. I would get food, and I'd bring it home, walk home right there, and I'd eat it. And all of a sudden, it changed. When she moved in with me, my wife started preparing meals. My routine changed. I'm the type of guy, I don't know how many of you guys are like this, but I walk into the house and I drop everything. It goes on the counter, and I know where it is, right? It goes in my room, I go in there, I empty my pockets out, I put it on my dresser. Sometimes all my stuff starts adding up and it might overflow to her dresser. She's not happy about that. And my wife is super clean. She doesn't like that. She doesn't like clutter. I'm a hat guy. I have 50 hats on my dresser. She's like, can you find somewhere else to put them? And I'm just like, don't change my routine. 
And sometimes when I don't put that stuff away, she will go and gather it all and she'll put it in a box and be like, okay, can you go through this? And I'm like, what in the world have you done? I knew where everything was. Why have you touched it? But everything changed when I got married. My routines changed. And I like to think that I've started to master that. My wife might disagree with you uh, or with me on that, but my routines changed. My patterns changed. Everything changed in my life when I married my wife. And in the same way, marriage does call us to change our habits. But sometimes those habits don't die very easily, right? Sometimes those habits we have, those routines, they don't die very easily. But the gospel of Jesus invites us into an entirely new life, what we see in Romans. It fundamentally proclaims that all have fallen short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23, right? Through sin, and because of that, we deserve death. But the good news is this. It also proclaims that God has given us a gift of eternal life in Jesus, right? God invites us to a new way to live with him. But this means we have to learn to change, right? We have to learn an entirely new way of living, but this isn't so easy sometimes. It's not easy for us to let go. And for many of us, when we come to Christ, the process of letting go of those habits or letting go of those old things are difficult. And they can be hard and tricky. And this is why we're calling this series Newish. Newish. Everything changed. The transformation the gospel brings is radically new, but old habits sometimes die hard. So the question is, is how do we begin to live out this new way of Jesus in relation to our old habits in our life? How do we even do that? How do we begin to live this life? In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul writes to a community of Jews and Gentiles to proclaim the gospel and its implications. And one of the implications that Paul labors to unpack here in Romans 6 and 7, what we've been looking at is that we are united to Jesus in the gospel, and that this reality of that changes everything. And over the past few weeks, we've unpacked together how in Christ we have a new master who has set us free from the bondage of sin and made us slaves to righteousness, what we talked about last week where we experience freedom and eternal life. And all of this comes because of our union with Jesus. We have a new life to live. We have a new life in Christ. But when Paul writes this, he knows that he's writing to an audience that their old habits aren't going to die so easily. So he once again begins to draw out another implication of what it means that we are, to, or are now united with Jesus and how that leads us into a new life with God. And for Paul, the main idea here is that belonging to Christ leads us to bearing fruit in Christ. When we belong to Christ, when we give our life to Christ, that should lead us to bearing fruit for Christ, right? That should lead us to producing fruit for Christ. And this raises a natural question. How does belonging to Christ lead 
to bearing fruit for Christ. In our passage today, Paul's laying out three realities that help us see how, when we belong to Christ, it leads us to bearing the fruit of eternal life. And the first one we look at is belonging to Christ releases us from the law. When we belong to Christ, it releases us from the law. In Romans chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, or you can read on the screen, it says this, Or do you not know, brothers? For I am speaking to those who know the law. So these are people who know the law. That the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Paul begins this section with a um, continuation of this idea. He's been unpacking in chapter 6 what we looked at last week. But now Paul focuses on something else here on addressing how the reality of their union with Christ impacts his audience's relationship to the Jewish law. The Jews in Paul's audience viewed the Torah, the Old Testament law, as the means by which they could experience life and bear the fruit of God's kingdom. The law essentially defined their life. It defined their lives, it defined their identity, it defined their ethics, it defined everything about them and who they were. And furthermore, the law, they were bound to this law by a covenant that they had made. So they couldn't simply just dismiss it. They couldn't dismiss this law. And so you can imagine for Paul to come along and say that their life, their identity, their ethics are all now found in Christ, what we see in verse 14. This would cause a little bit of a tension, right? That they're like, wait a minute. No, this isn't right. We belong to the law. We made a covenant in the law. And this is what we live by. Paul knows that these deeply ingrained beliefs and practices for them are not going to die easily. So what Paul does is he lays out a principle at the beginning of the passage. What do we see this principle that he lays out? that the law is only in effect on a person as long as they live. As long as they are alive, they're bound to the law. But before unpacking this directly, he uses an illustration here, right? He uses an illustration of a woman who's bound by law to her husband, and that if she was to leave her husband and go and live with another man, it's adultery, right? But if her husband dies today, tomorrow she is, or today she's released from that covenant, and now she can go remarry. We even see that in our culture today. It's nothing new to us. If my wife was to leave me today and go live with someone else, it would be adultery, right? We'd look at it as that. But if I was to die today, she'd be released from that covenant, and she could go remarry. We see this in our culture. And so he's laying this out for us. And this is essential in Paul's point in the relationship. The death changes the fundamental nature of the covenant and one's bondedness to it. 
So after illustrating this principle, he draws uh, basically an application for his audience in Christ's body. You have died to the law. For Paul, union with Christ means that as Christ died, so did we. Just like we talked about in, in Romans 6, 4 through 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So here's the thing. If we died, then we are no longer bound to the law. Like a married woman is bound to her husband, and if he dies, she's no longer bound. We are no longer bound to the law. And here's the thing. If we're going to embrace this new life in Christ, then we have to understand that concept. We have to understand that we are dead to our old selves, that we are now new and we are alive in Christ. When we give our, give our life to Christ, when we put our faith and trust in him and we accept the free gift of salvation, we are now made new creatures. We are dead in our trespasses. But now we're made new. And we have to grab that first before we can actually understand our new life in Christ. We have to embrace that. Our old selves do not define us. They died in Christ's death. But not only does dying to the law mean we're free from being bound to it, it's not like, man, you're free from the law, so go ahead and go out and do whatever you want. Murder people, lie, cheat, whatever you want. That's not what he's saying here. We're dead to the law, but it means we are free to be bound to someone else. And who is that? There's a purpose behind what Paul's trying to say here. And the purpose is this. Belonging to Christ weds us to him. So we die to the law, but belonging to Christ weds us to Jesus, right? To Christ. We see it in chapter 4, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. And Paul now articulates the first purpose for why we've been freed from the law. The purpose behind why we have been freed from the law is so that we can be wed with Christ, right? So that we can enter into a relationship with Christ. For salvation is found in Christ alone and in our union with him. And Paul highlights one of the critical realities concerning Jesus. He highlights this critical reality of what? The resurrection, right? So not only did we die with Christ, but if we've died with Christ, we are also resurrected with him. And that's where he's finding hope in our salvation. If we were to just look at the death of Christ and say, okay, we've died with Christ, what hope do we have? The hope that we find is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as it says in Romans 6, 4, he's alluded to this point in chapter 6, we are buried therefore with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Belonging to Jesus weds us not only to his death, but also to his resurrection. 
And a lot of times in marriage counseling with younger couples, um, we talk about marriage in an act uh, is an act of leaving and joining, right? Genesis 2.22, which is the scripture's definition for marriage, carries the idea when it says that a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The word we translate hold fast carries the idea of joining or clinging or connecting. It's connecting. And when you get married, you leave your old family, right? They are no longer your priority. They no longer are your, they don't like define you anymore. Not that we don't love them. When I left my parents and when my wife left her parents, they no longer define us. They no longer, um, we, they're not our priority any longer, right? Now my new priority is my wife. And so they, it's not a bad thing. They're not, we're not like, oh, you're, you're nothing to us anymore. We still love them. They brought us up. But now we leave them to be one flesh with who we marry. And this is Paul's understanding of what happens when we trust Jesus' death and resurrection. We leave our old family of origin, the law, and we are united to our new family, Jesus. And he now defines our reality. And when it comes to our lives sometimes, it can be hard to leave behind our old life patterns, right? It can be hard to disconnect ourselves from those things, and sometimes we still define ourselves by who we were before Christ. Think about this. A lot of times we share our testimony, right? Or we share our story, or you'll, you'll hear somebody who got saved later in life and they've been saved or, or, or they accepted Christ 10, 15 years ago. And we start to tell our story and we tell all this stuff that happened before Christ. Man, I was in this sin and I did this and I was so bad and, and man, I was a, a part of this and, and man, all of this and then all of a sudden, God, you know, I gave my life to Christ. And it's been good. And then you're like, okay, well, what happened now in the last 10 years? And they're like, well, you know, I, I go to church every Sunday, and, and, I, and I joined a Bible study too. And, and you know, I served, I served uh, on the greeting team. Or I did this, or I did that. And you're waiting to hear the joy, and you're waiting to hear the excitement of what God has done in their life, and the fruit in their life. And sometimes we define our lives still. We hang on to the past. And we still define ourselves by that, what we were before Christ. And to be honest with you, this is like, honestly, like me marrying Kristen. And on our wedding night, I take her home. I get her all settled in in our new house. And then I say, all right, I'll, I'll see you later. And her going, where are you going? Oh, I'm just going to go home now. And I go back to my parents' house, and I go into my childhood bedroom, and I make myself at home, and I'm, you know, I live there. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? It'd be crazy. 
But that's essentially what we are doing when we, when we come into a relationship with Jesus and, and it's supposed to be life-changing and we, we're supposed to be fruitful for him and he's supposed to move in our life and yet we literally walk back into our old habits. And it's like for a day, God has really done some great things in my life and, and I've given my life to Christ and now I'm walking back tomorrow into my old habits. And I'm still under the old law. I'm still trying to check boxes to gain acceptance from God. I'm still trying to work my way into good things and to heaven. Instead of understanding the grace that's covered me by Jesus on the cross and what he's done for me and allowing him to secure my salvation. Instead, we walk back and we just go back to our old home, our old family. Instead of living in the newness of a relationship with Christ, that family no longer defines you. So why keep living as if it does? Why keep living as if it does? You've been joined to him, and he now defines your reality. And it's this call to living out our union with Christ that Paul now turns to in a, a couple of verses in our passage. The third thing we look at that he gives us is belonging to Christ empowers a new way to serve, or I should say a new way to live. Romans 7, 4 through 6 says this, so that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Paul gives a second purpose here for our being released from the law, that we may bear fruit for God. If I stopped right there and I asked you, what fruit do you see in your life that God is showing you right now? Where do you see fruit in your life? And you may tell me, hey, John, man, God is doing this and this and this. That's awesome. I'll be honest with you. I had to sit up in my office this week and go, God, where's the fruit in my life? Am I just checking boxes? Am I, am I just doing this and living by the code and living by the law and, and doing the things that I know are right? Or am I actually allowing you to lead in my life and to bear fruit in my life? Where's the fruit in my life? And I think that's a great question for each one of us to ask ourselves. Where are we seeing fruit produced in our life? because of what God has done for you. Paul's drawing once again on a concept he introduced in a previous chapter, in chapter 622. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. Amen? He contrasts this, right? Our old life under the law with our new life of belonging to Christ to show what this new fruit will look like. Listen, it's not that the law was bad. It's not that, that God gave them the law. 
And New Testament scholar Frank Thielman puts it this way. Sin and the law together form harmful impressions within people, shaping their impulses to respond in ways that are displeasing to God. Living in a way that is displeasing to God is what Paul calls bearing fruit for death. We see it right in the passage. Recall what he stated just a few verses earlier, that the wages of sin is death, right? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. When we sin, it results in death, not just our physical death, because that's going to come for us one day, but also a spiritual, eternal death. And so Paul is trying to point out that the law did nothing to help us with our sin problem. It only made it worse. It stirred up our sinful passions, which resulted in death. I don't know about any of you guys out there, but Man, when somebody gives me a list of rules, my inner, rebellious, whatever you want to call it, says, whoo, I, I don't know about those rules. When it says 55 on the, high, on the uh, road, I'm like, I think they mean 65. <laughs> right? When you see rules set in front of you, it kind of stirs up this inner rebellious attitude that you're like, I don't know if they got my best interest. I think I can cross the line a little bit. It's not that the law is bad. And Paul will elaborate further on this next week in chapter 7. But once again, Paul reminds us the purpose for this is so that we can serve in a whole new way. Empowered by the Spirit of God. The Spirit is now the defining reality in the fruit we bear and the life we are called to live. As John Stott puts it this way, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the dis distinguishing characteristic of the new age and so of the new life in Christ. Therefore, we no longer define ourselves by the law but by Christ. We serve in the power of the Spirit. And here's the thing. In the Old Testament, God would allow the Holy Spirit to fall upon certain men. We read this, right? Whether it was King David, whether it was Moses, whether it was the prophets, he would allow the Holy Spirit to fall on these men, and, and they, could, they were empowered to do incredible things, right? For a short time. Here's the great news. That if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today, that same spirit that empowered them to do incredible things, God allows to fall on every believer that accepts his free gift of salvation. Everyone who puts their faith and trust in him, he allows that Holy Spirit to fall on them. And so each one of you who believe in him have the Holy Spirit, just like King David, just like Moses, that you can actually be empowered to do great things through him. Amen? Yes! This is a great news. We have the Holy Spirit living within us that we can do awesome things if we allow the Holy Spirit to work. If we allow the Holy Spirit to work. Max Lucado tells a story of a woman 
who was married to a partner, and this partner would make each day a list of chores for her to do, whether it be doing the dishes, doing the laundry, mop the floor, um, whatever it may be. And, and she had to get all of that list done by the end of the day, or he would come home and he would verbally abuse her and tell her she was worthless and worth nothing and, and she's a failure and everything else. And so this poor woman would work tirelessly, fearless, fearful of satisfying her partner when he got home, and rarely did she ever satisfy him. Years later, she left him, and she married this incredible man. He worked in insurance, and she stayed home taking care of uh, the house and their internet business, and, and uh, never once did he actually give her a list of things that he expected. Never once did he come home and scold her for what she did or didn't do or downgrade her. And years later, she found a list of 12 things that her old partner had given her. And she couldn't help but cry. Because as she read the list and she looked at the list, she was still doing every one of those things. She was keeping up the house, doing the laundry, all these things that were on this list. But the difference is that she was doing it no longer motivated by a fear or abuse, but spurred on by devotion for her husband to make their lives together happier. And I tell you that because this. God wants us to serve him not out of fear, out of devotion. Out of devotion to him. He's not a taskmaster. He doesn't want us to see him as a taskmaster with a list of to-dos that we will never achieve and that we will never be able to check all the boxes on. Out of obedience that we are just like, man, we're just going to obey this thing. That's not what God wants. He wants us to serve him in a way that is devotion and love. And the thing is, is how many of us actually do that? I don't know about you, but when I tell my story to other people, I don't want to focus on what Satan did in my life. When I tell my story to other people, I want to be like, yeah, I was a sinner on my way to hell and death and God came into my life and changed my life completely. And guess what? The other day, he helped me at work to talk to this coworker who had questions and was walking through life. And man, the spirit led in that moment and he allowed me to help this person through this struggling thing. And, and you know what? And, and last week, I was able to lead somebody to Christ. I dare ask, when's the last time we led somebody to Christ. But I want to be that type of person who shares my story of all the great things that God's doing, not because of me, because me allowing the Holy Spirit to come into my life and me to produce fruit for God. 
For when we put our faith in Christ, we are made alive and we are given the Spirit of God who now empowers our life in a way to produce the fruit of eternal life. So this leads me to ask the question, in my life, in your life, are they marked by the Spirit of God or by the law? Do we just check boxes? Do we just live under what we know to be right or do we actually allow the Spirit to move? Do I walk by the Spirit, as it says in Galatians 5.16? Am I filled with the Spirit? Because here's the thing. The Spirit is the key to the new life in Christ. It's through the Spirit that empowers us to live a life of service where we bear fruit for Christ. And here's the thing. All of this ultimately comes only when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So for some of you today, you might be sitting out there and you might be like, John, I have no idea what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and it all begins there. And I want to encourage you. When the band comes, they're going to play. If you're struggling with that, we would love to have a conversation with you. We would love to walk you through that process of what it looks like to have a relationship with God. Come down to the front. Alex will be here. I'll be here. Our prayer team will be here. And I just want you to know it's never too late. I know I'm over time, but you know what? 20 years ago, I had grown up in a home, Christian home. I had literally been taught in the church, nonstop. I had gone to church, Sunday school, the whole nine yards. I knew all the right answers. I knew all the right things to say, right? 20 years ago, I went to Brazil on a mission trip. I'm there to literally minister to these people, right? And I'm in Brazil, and I'm in this chapel, 21 years old, and it's all open, and all these people are just singing and dancing. I have no idea what they're saying. They're in a completely different language. And they're singing and dancing, and there's preaching, and I'm just like sitting in the back. I have no idea. I'm just like, what is going on? And something came over me. As I watched these people with the Holy Spirit empowering them, and I... I remember walking out of that chapel. I went down to where my room was, and there's this little porch with a hammock on it. And I remember at 21 years old, I sat in that hammock, and I just started to weep. And I, I sat there, and I'm like, God, what are you doing in my life? I don't feel your presence. And I remember giving my life to Christ right there at 21 years old, on a mission trip, where I was supposed to be the one who's leading people to Christ, right? And I gave my life to Christ right there in a hammock in Brazil. And I felt the Holy Spirit come over me. And the next day during chapel, believe me, I was in the midst of that. I had no idea what they were saying. But I was dancing and singing and la, la, la. And, because the Holy Spirit was moving in me. So my question for you today is, do you feel the Holy Spirit? Is there fruit in your life that shows that? Do you need to put your faith and trust in Him 
so that you can begin that process. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, that you sent your son to die for each and every one of us here in this room. God, there's nobody here that cannot give their life to you. And so ultimately, God, I pray today that, Lord, if there's one here that needs to know you, that, God, you would bring them to you today, that you wouldn't let them leave here without knowing you. God, maybe for the person that's dealing with sin in their life and they know you as their personal Savior, but, God, they're hiding the sin that they need to make that right. Help them to come, Lord. God, maybe it's just somebody who's living a normal life and think they're doing the right things and, and doing good, but there's no fruit in their life, God. And it's because they haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to work and to move in their life. So God, I pray for that person. Lord, help us all to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Help us all to move in a way that produces fruit in our life. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.